Good morning, all. It's great to see you. I'm Greg Paris. Welcome to Union Chapel today. We're so glad you're here. Hope you're having a good day. And welcome to a new series. We're beginning on the subject of Sabbath. Um, I'm guessing that many of you haven't heard a sermon on Sabbath, at least for a long time. It's uh, kind of fallen out of favor in our culture in recent years, and I want to suggest that it's something very important and something that we should reclaim. And so uh, today we're beginning a series on Sabbath. Hope it'll be meaningful to you. We've chosen as our text today from Exodus, the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 17 in just a moment. And as you're turning there, if you have your Bibles, uh, let me just make a few brief comments about some of the uh, energy and pushback that's happening in our culture right now over this travel ban, 90-day travel ban that President Trump has has issued uh, toward these seven predominantly Muslim countries. And let me just say that, generally speaking, there is a legal right, there is a moral right, there is a biblical right to protect the borders of your country and protect the citizens of your country. You could argue that the most important thing a government does is protect its citizens. So there is every right to do that. Now, having said that, as Christian people, there are... uh, Issues that we need to keep in focus as regards the way we respond to people in our midst and the way we pray for one another. And let me just list a few things that should be on your prayer points as you think about this kind of situation. For all of us, Christians everywhere, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And to serve those least among us, including refugees and immigrants, And so that's a value, and that's a mandate from God, to love everybody, love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we should work to do that. Second of all, for the church to seize the opportunity that having refugees, immigrants coming to our country actually presents to us in the opportunity to offer them Christ. We had a family from our church many years ago at Union Chapel who actually lived in Damascus, Syria for a couple of years Uh, Sharing Jesus with people there is a very difficult place to be even then. Of course, Damascus, Syria is a place you don't want to be today. A very dangerous place. And yet, we had people from Union Chapel, Muncie, Indiana, who were living in Damascus, Syria to offer Christ to people there. Now, what we have in in our day are people from Syria coming to us. (laughs) And what a great opportunity that is to offer Christ to people and to express his love to them. And so we should pray for believers that interact with these refugees and immigrants all over our country that come in contact with these Muslim people that they would share the love of God in meaningful, tangible ways. And of course, the other prayer point is that we are mandated by the scripture to pray for those in authority, those in leadership. And so we should pray that our leaders would have wisdom, that they would have humility, and that they would have discernment. And as we do that, in a careful, loving, uh, compassionate way, I believe God will hear our prayers. So stay encouraged and keep praying and make sure that you uh, see these things as clearly as you can from a biblical worldview. Uh, I am, um, right after Easter in the spring, I'm going to preach a three-week series on, uh, on topics that people have been asking me to address and so it's, uh, it's going to be a you ask for it sermon series. <laughs> and some of these issues are going to come up in those messages, so stay tuned. All right, if you have your Bibles now, turn to Exodus 20. 
And if not, we'll project the words on the screen. These first 17 verses, our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you so much for doing that. These are the 10 commandments. Now, the first three of the 10 are with regard to our relationship with God. The fourth commandment is with regard to the Sabbath, which is our theme now. And the last six are with regard to our relationship with one another. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not uphold, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, his Porsche, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. May God inspire us then through the reading of his word. Thank you. I was just seeing if you guys were still listening. It's good. (laughs) Plus, that would be my temptation. If my neighbor has a Porsche, I would covet my neighbor's Porsche. When David Green built his first craft store in 1972, his initial plan was to close his stores on Sundays so his employees and families as well as his customers could take the day off, but he got scared. A competitor vowed to drive him out of business, and one of his strategies was to be open on Sundays, so David opened on Sundays to match the competition. As the years went by and his business began to thrive and expand, he gave money to charity and gave money to his church. He's a good, God-fearing man, but his conscience bothered him. With one hand, he was supporting the church, but with the other hand, he was working against it, you know, by having his stores open on Sunday. For many of his employees, Sunday was the only time they could go to church or spend time with their children. So for David, something was wrong. Two decades after he started his business, then David looked at the numbers, and this is what he discovered. Hour for hour, Sunday had become his most profitable day of the week. He was selling, wait for it, he was selling $100 million in merchandise per year just on Sundays. That's a big number. He prayed and then he took the plunge. He decided to permanently close his stores on Sunday. And the founder and president of Hobby Lobby said, and I quote, And that's when our business really took off. (laughs) Really. That's a remarkable story, isn't it? David's story is dramatic because of the numbers, of course, but it's no less dramatic to a single parent who doesn't have enough hours in the day or a college student who has a big exam on Monday or a child facing a Little League playoff game on a Sunday afternoon 
who tries to live 24-6, not 24-7 as is popular in our culture, but 24-6. It's really hard. Honoring the Sabbath is not only an act of faith these days, it could be considered an act of courage to resist the culture so much. I have two points today, just two, and it's on your outline there. Now, normally a proper sermon is three points and a poem, but today we have... Today we have two points and two poems, so it all evens out. You're not going to get shorted. So on your outline, you'll see this first point. The Sabbath is missing. You need the word missing. We live in the most fast-paced period of history. People literally are flying from continent to continent. We cure diseases that have plagued every generation before us. The smartphones in our pockets and purses uh, have a medical history in them, have a camera in them have a thousand songs on board. It's a remarkable technology. We live in a society that doesn't seem to be able to get enough of anything. We want more things. We want more money. We want more stuff. We want more more of everything. And yet, we don't seem to have enough time for family and friends and to get the things done that really matter. Did you know that as human beings now, this generation is living longer than any generation in human history? And yet we feel compressed with time. We can have a three-minute egg in 30 seconds and get the answer to virtually any question of fact instantly, and yet we feel frustrated. We have food. We have physical security. We have comforts, all the comforts in the world. We have access to all this technology, and yet more and more people are reporting that they are unhappy and unfulfilled and lacking real peace of mind and heart. And it begs the question, doesn't it? What is wrong? What is missing? Why aren't we content with what we have? Are are, our answers to life just faster computers and stronger medicine and more money? Or is there something else missing from our lives? Could I suggest to you this morning that sometimes the thing that is missing is hard to see? It's hard to discern, hard to detect. The thing that's missing isn't easy to comprehend. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to actually give you just a few moments to think about this. I want you to think about your life in your family on Sundays when you were growing up. Just stop and think about it. When you were growing up, what was life like in your family on Sunday? Think about the patterns. Think about the pace. Think about the activities. How many of you find a smile coming to your face right now? How many of you feel a longing to go back to days like that? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? What is missing, perhaps, in our lives is a rhythm that was established thousands of years ago by our Creator, a rhythm of stopping all commerce, all work, one day out of seven. What may be missing is a day of rest when we take time to connect with one another and connect with God. Consider, uh, not long ago, almost everything in society stopped one day a week. Gas stations closed, banks closed, grocery stores all locked their doors at night and on Sunday. But that's not true anymore, isn't it? Today we live in a 24-7 world. Uh, The dawn of electricity and other technology advances, you know, now the world goes around the clock and we don't stop at all. And what has been taken away is our rest. There was a day when Sundays 
came around when the libraries all closed and the pharmacies barred the door and people got dressed up and drove to church. Even those without any particular religious conviction simply took the day off. And irrespective of faith, all members of society were given and even promised, guaranteed, if you will, a day each week when they could rest. Think about the math on this. Subtracting a day of rest each week has had a profound effect on our lives. Think, think about the numbers. One day a week adds up to 52 days a year times the average lifespan. That is equal to more than 11 years of a person's life. You take 11 years away from anything in a lifetime and there's going to be a change. You take 11 years, more than a decade off of sleep or work or education, the entire character of your life is altered. And unfortunately, in our society, the thing that's been taken away isn't Monday. It was the Sabbath. Got mislaid, our day of rest. And if we're going to reclaim or recover our Sabbath, then we have to admit first that something is missing. Something has gone wrong. Now, it happened it happened imperceptibly almost, right? It happened quickly. It happened gradually. And, and, and there, there are people now who don't even realize it's missing. We have members of our society now, the youngest among us, the millennials, who have never been alive during a period of time when culture defaulted to a, a day, one day a week of taking it for rest. And so we have an entire generation of young people now who have never experienced Sabbath and don't have any idea of what they're missing. It's a fascinating time. A weekly day of rest, though, is like uh, mint chocolate chip ice cream from Baskin Robbins. It's like uh, a hug from someone who loves you and cherishes you. You can live without both of those things, but it's not really living. Let me conduct a survey. Imagine this kind of world. Just imagine, let your imagination reach out to this kind of world. See if you would agree. Suppose that everyone got to take one day a week off. No, no one cheated. Six days a week, all any business could or would operate. If you're open for business on Sunday, then you have to choose another day of the week to be closed. If you're closed on Saturdays, then you can operate on Sundays. You get the idea. For the moment, though, imagine that there's no emergency, so we don't need emergency personnel. We don't need the hospitals open. So, so this is hypothetical. This is what everyone in the country will work only six days a week. That's the rule. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you would agree to that? I mean, we all, we're all in. Nobody cheats. Everybody agrees. We're going to work six, and we're going to be off one. Right, do you agree? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds wonderful. Now watch this. Keep in mind that there are very few, very few things people would agree 100% on. And I've asked now three different services this weekend this question, and everybody goes, yeah, that, you know, it's, it's, it's so wonderful, it's hard to imagine. So folks go, oh, that's so hypothetical, it'll never happen, but man, that would be nice. Just imagining one day off every seven, Wow. And so what you get is you get 100% concurrence on that kind of notion. But watch how this, how this plays out in comparison to any other thing we might ask you to agree on. You have 100% agreement on this, and yet there are no other subjects where you could get 100% agreement, like a music genre or a political position or a moral code. You can't get people to agree on any of these things. And yet when it comes to one day off in seven Everyone agrees. 
And if everyone would agree on anything that no one ever agrees 100% on, maybe we're on to something. Maybe the idea is so significant, it is so substantial that it can become historic. It may be the most, this business of one day off in seven may be the most important business in the whole world. Because we all tend to agree it's a good idea. Fascinating, isn't it? The day of rest has gone missing from our lives. It started the day after humanity began. It made it through the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. It didn't perish when it was exported to the New World. It survived the American Civil War. It was still going strong when women got the vote. It prospered in the Great Depression. It even blasted off at the dawn of the Space Age. And only in the last few minutes of human history has it been misplaced. Isn't that curious? Thousands and thousands of years, millennial, millennia have, have passed, but only in the last few minutes of human experience have we forgotten the Sabbath. Hmm. Deuteronomy 5.15, it says it this way. I'll put it on the screen. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So instead of working harder and smarter and longer, maybe we should follow God's example and simply stop one day in seven. Human memory is a complicated thing. You know, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day. Human memory is complex. Let me tell you a story. This uh, comes from a woman whose name is Bibi, Mrs. Bibi. It's a true story. She arrived at the entrance to the emergency room in an ambulance. She was alert, fully awake, thanked the emergency room personnel by name for their help, the attendants who had carried her safely in the ambulance. She'd lived a long life. The heroes of her day had landed on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. She'd learned to read in a one-room school. She had worn handmade dresses her whole life. Decades of hardship in Mrs. Beebe's life had made her better and not bitter. She was a wonderful person. It was early in the morning, about 5 a.m., and the emergency room personnel noticed a steady flow of cars had followed the ambulance to the hospital. These were sons and daughters and grandchildren, and they arrived, and it was reported that they came into the waiting area of the emergency room respectfully. They were well-dressed. They were patient. These family members were not drawn to Mrs. Beebe because she had a lot of money that they would inherit or because she had some position or status in the community. They were drawn to her by those more subtle forces that tend to bring people together. The emergency room doctor then asked her, what brings you to the ER? And Mrs. Beebe uh, clenched her fist like this. She said, and then she just put her fist over her heart and she said, it hurts right here. And the doctor listened to her breathing and checked her, checked her heart beat and ordered an EKG and some lab work and a chest x-ray and all, all the usual stuff. And everything was normal. When the first lab test came back, they too were normal. By now, the family members waiting were anxious to see for themselves that she was okay, and so the nurse began to lead them back two and three at a time to make sure Grandma Bibi was okay. Some of the well-wishers were making plans to send their children off to school, and the rest of them just said, look, anything we can do, anything whatsoever, you just let us know, and we're here to help in any way. 
The doctor was at his desk when Mrs. Beebe's medical record arrived. It was a relatively thin record for someone so old. Then the doctor noticed something. It might mean something, maybe not. See, she'd been to the hospital to, uh, to be checked out on a few occasions over the years, but it was always in the middle of January. Hmm. The diagnosis on those occasions was listed as atypical chest pain or non-cardiac chest pain. On each admission to the hospital, nothing serious was ever found. And so now the puzzle. What is happening to this woman? Why the non-events? She's not a complainer, not a smoker, not a drinker. She doesn't have any allergies. She doesn't take any medications. But under her social history and her medical record, there was a note explaining that she had lived alone with a close-knit family and that she had been widowed since the earliest part of the medical record. Emergency room physician one thought maybe there's something to that. So he went back into the room, and when he entered, her son and a granddaughter was present as well. And he looked at Mrs. Beebe, and he said, I noticed that you've been widowed for quite some time. Do you mind telling me, how did your husband pass? In silence. The question hung in the air until it began to take on a life of its own. It was the family's elephant in the room. The doctor said the granddaughter's eyes were like deer, deer in headlights. After some more silence, Mrs. Beebe finally spoke. She said it was after the war. It was on a night as cold as this. We were all asleep. My husband heard it first. The animals were bawling. He called to the children and then ran to the barn to get the cows out. The barn was on fire. One of the unique configurations, apparently, of a New England dairy farm back in the day included the connection of the milking barn with the house for convenience as people came and went in the odd hours for milking. The downside, of course, is that if one burns, they both burn. The son then picked up the story. He painted the picture of a woman standing in the snow, huddled with five small children, praying for a husband who never made it out of the barn. The house, the way of life, the wedding dress, the photos, the family Bible, everything was lost. Mrs. Beebe had lost her husband in the middle of January. Now, more than 50 years later, she had woken out of sleep with a pain in her chest, and neither she nor her family nor any of the prior physicians had ever connected the dots. See, Mrs. Beebe didn't have a diseased heart. She had a broken heart. Now that night, the link between Mrs. Beebe's tragic anniversary and her broken heart and her aching chest pain just happened to be revealed. But how many similar connections escape us every day? Such patterns often go unnoticed in medicine or in families or in life. Stuff happens to us. That's the way of humankind. We are, we're clever and we're smart, but we forget. We lose touch with these things. Our memory and our vision 
are often least reliable when it comes to the things we are closest to and care the most about. We're often the last ones to see what is obvious to an outsider. Beth and I were in a grocery store a few weeks ago, and we heard about three aisles over some screaming. We came to the head of the aisle and looked down several feet away, and there was a two-and-a-half-year-old girl lying on the floor on her back, kicking and screaming at the top of her lungs. And I mean top, tip-top of her lungs. The mother was just five feet away with a shopping cart, standing there looking at her. And this girl was going off. And I heard my wife mumble something under her breath. I said, what did you say, honey? (laughs) And Beth looked at me and said, if I was that girl's mother, I'd know what to do. (laughs) I said, I believe you do know what to do. And isn't it true? We're often the last ones to see what is obvious to the outsider. A spoiled, ill-mannered child is often last noticed by their parents. And so follow this. If saintly Mrs. Beebe and her family had forgotten the tragedy that had defined their entire lives, how is society expected to keep track of all seven days of a week? Follow the thought. Maybe it wasn't dark intentions that resulted in the loss of the Sabbath as it has been kind of a society-wide absent-mindedness. Maybe this is why the fourth commandment begins with the word, remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy. And so the Sabbath is missing. And that leads me to the second thought. You'll want to write this down. It's on your outline. The Sabbath has meaning. The Sabbath has meaning. In Genesis, we find a seven-day week. Now, we don't know if these are literal seven 24-hour days in Genesis or not. Uh, People want to fuss about this and draw a line and fight over this, whether or not there's a literal 24-hour creation story in Genesis 1 through 3. I don't know. And let me tell you why I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just not sure. I didn't see it. And so I don't know for sure. And by the way, whatever you believe about it, I agree with you. So don't fuss with me. I'm, I'm for you about it. And so God begins to mix. Out of nothing, he brings forth something. Out of nothing, merely his spoken word, now we see electromagnetism. We see, we see uh, the nuclear world, strong and weak. We, we see gravity come into play. And so now, now suddenly we have light and dark, and we have, we have earth and sky. And one day after the next, in, in the created order, God begins to construct the building blocks of the universe, and he puts it all together. And he says, at the end of day one, that's good. And day two, that's, real, that's good. And day three, that's good. And day four is good. And five is good. And sometime after lunch on day five, he fills the lakes with fish. And he fills the sky with birds. And he says, that is so good. And then on day six, he does something amazing. He, he forms man. And he makes Adam. Early in the morning, takes him about eight minutes. And he just whips Adam up because Adam is easy. He's simple. He's, he's just, he's, he's predictable. He's barely human, but he's a human being. And then for the rest of the day, God takes his time 
And he brings all of his energy to bear because in forming Eve, he knows that this is going to require all of his energy, all of his thought, because this is a creature of great complexity. (laughs) And he spends the rest of his day six putting Eve together. And when Adam finally wakes up, and he's not very smart, but when he wakes up, he looks at Eve and he goes, yes. Yes, 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 that is what I'm talking about. (laughs) It makes him happy. He's thrilled. Eve is is probably precocious at first because she's very complicated, very complex. And, And so it begins. The dance begins. And God steps back and looks at this and he says, very good. Five days, good, 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 good. On day six, very good. And with that woman, that is excellent. And you think, well, that can't be topped. That's, that's, the, that's the absolute pinnacle of creative genius. You've made a woman. And that's how I would feel about it. I mean, I have a beautiful wife, and I have three granddaughters now, and I'm thinking, and two daughters-in-law, I, I just think... Women are the best things ever made. How could God top that? And yet, on day seven, watch what God does. It's the piece de resistance. It's the, it's the absolute. For six days, he takes nothing and makes something. But on day seven, he takes something and makes out of it Nothing. And he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. On the seventh day, he rested. The first six days, he said, good, 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 and very good. Then day seven, he says, holy. This day is holy. It's different. It's distinct. It has real significant meaning. It's the Sabbath. We can't turn back the hands of time, can we, in our world? We can't say, okay, let's all go back to the way it was. We're going back to 24-6, not this 24-7. Let's just all go back. We're not going back. You know that's true. I know that's true. Uh, The communication tools, the nanotechnology, the human engineering will increase the number of tasks an individual can do in a 24-hour period. We may go from 24-7 to to 48-7. It's, we're going to continue to be compressed and pushed in these ways. So if we wish to have a weekly day of rest, it will no longer happen as a societal default. It's not going to happen. It will only happen as a result of a conscious choice. We have to choose to set our lives apart. The, name, the word Sabbath actually means rest. Literally means stop. Stop and rest. It means to cease from. Your regular stuff. We have, in the fourth, we have in the fourth commandment this wonderful mandate from God and permission to rest. And of course, we know God rested on the seventh day. God rested. And we ask, why did he rest? Was it because he was tired? God just got worn out. He, fight, he, you know, he, he was doing okay, and then that woman thing came along, and he just took all of his energy, and now he's out of, he's completely wasted. That's not why God stopped. That's not why he rested. It's not because he was tired. He rested because he's holy. 
And, and because God is holy, that means rest is holy. The word holy means to be whole. It means to be on balance. It means to have the right perspective. It means to have the, the, the right balance in life to be healthy. And so God reveals who he is when he practices Sabbath. He practices restraint, right? Restraint, restraint is simply doing, uh, refraining from doing everything that one has the power to do. And so he refrains because he knows it's good and it will model for us what we need. So Sabbath, Sabbath isn't about keeping a rule. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about, well, it's you know, Sunday, so don't, don't pick up that hammer, you know, or that's sinful. If you, if you think it's just a law or a rule to be kept, then you will completely miss the point of Sabbath. Sabbath isn't about rule keeping. It's about freedom. It's, a, it's about being liberated. And you say, well, listen, you know, if, if I'm not working seven days a week, you know, I'm just afraid I'll get lazy. No, no. See, taking the, the day off from work honors the work. It gives meaning to the work. It gives value to the work. Because you know the next day you're going to pick it up again. And that's honorable. And it models after God's mandate to be free and to be whole. To be holy. To be holy. And so this admonition is given. I love uh, this statement from Abraham Lincoln. I'll put it on the screen for you. He said, as we keep or break the Sabbath day, we nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope by which man rises. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Two more thoughts. You know, we have in our world today uh, an abandonment of the Sabbath, but not altogether. For example, we have university professors who reach a level of tenure, and these professors, and even those without tenure, expect from time to time to be awarded a sabbatical leave from their teaching responsibilities. And administrations and boards of directors actually approve these sabbatical leaves. And so the good professors expect a break. They expect their Sabbath, their sabbatical leave. It's interesting to note that, that uh, in the legal world, now we have judges all across America who are very committed to ruling against any organization that would violate the strict interpretation of the separation of church and state. So if you have any organization that wishes to do anything in the public square that has anything to do with religion, i.e. Christian religion, then there are judges who rule to keep a strict separation of church and state. But of course, none of these judges hold court on Sunday Just saying. And then there's Wall Street who counts their money 24-7. 24-7, Wall Street's constantly counting. They never stop counting. But they don't do any trading. Not on the weekends. So we still have examples in our culture and in our world of people who actually expect the Sabbath to come to their favor. But those of us who are people of faith, we have a different perspective. The business of the church involves the laws that apply only to those who willingly choose to submit to them. As people of faith, we are the men and women who submit on a willing basis to God's best plan for our life. And so we want to submit to such things as to love God and to 
avoid worshiping idols and to refrain from taking the Lord's name in vain and to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and to honor your father and mother. And these are the things that we willingly give ourselves to in confident trust that God will give us a holy life. And so those are the choices before us. So in this, uh, in this initial message on this subject of Sabbath, I, I hoped to have encouraged you to think, think about Sabbath, perhaps for the first time, perhaps first time in a long time. And as the weeks unfold, I hope that it will become more and more meaningful to you. All right, we started with this poem. It's from John David Walt. Happy to say that J.D. Walt is a very good friend of mine. He's a vice president in the administration at Asbury Theological Seminary. J.D. and I have been friends for a long time. And I was happy to find this poem. I think it's really great. And so we are going to say it together as we conclude this service this morning. So if you'll look at the screen, we'll read it out loud together. And let me just say, let's go slow. Let's slow our pace. Are you ready? It's entitled, Breathe. Read with me. Rest in rest, holy leisure, airtight time, Sabbath, hearing ears, creation slowing, open eyes, Sabbath, guiltless feasting, sacred rhythms, heaven hugging, Sabbath, nothing doing, nowhere going, work unknowing, Sabbath. All right, would you stand with me please to receive the blessing? Our blessing every week comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Some of you are familiar with that passage, so receive it today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you his peace. Be at peace, friends. Be at rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.